MNK Talk YA now presents A Gathering of Shadows Part 2 from the Shades of Magic series by V.E. Schwab. This is MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our podcast where we talk all about YA fiction. And this <laughs> week we finished A Gathering of Shadows by V.E. Schwab. And we finished the whole book. And I'm, I'm laughing because we were talking so seductively in the beginning. <laughs> well, I was channeling, you know how like Lila and Kel just say hello to each other all the time? That's what I was going for, so... <laughs> Oh, am I Lila or am I Kel in this scenario? Um, I think I want to be the pirate, so you're Kel and I'm Lila. Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> I can be pretty brooding. Or I'll just be Alucard because he's my favorite still. Oh, me too. Alucard. He, you know why I think I like him so much? Why? Because I think he reminds me of Prince Nikolai from Shadow and Bone. Yeah, he also reminds me of Captain... The worm. Oh yeah! <laughs> All my favorite. There's like a theme in my favorite character, but that's okay. They have to be kind of royal or from a royal family, <laughs> and also a, pr- a pirate slash privateer. They have to be a little bit of trouble and very, very charming and confident. <laughs> yes. And I would like to say that I was right about Alucard and Rye. You were. You were. Good guess. <laughs> Okay, can I confess something, though? Yes. So I had a little bit of help. Okay. Because I accidentally was on Instagram, (laughs) (laughs) and there's so many great fan art illustrations out on Instagram for, like, every series. The fan art is incredible, and I accidentally saw a fan art illustration of Alucard and Rye kissing... And so uh. I kind of knew or figured <laughs> that something romantic. It planted the idea. Yeah. yeah. That's the hardest part about like doing research and stuff or like reading the series so slowly because if I wasn't doing the podcast, I probably, if I was really into a book, would just keep reading, yeah. right? Instead of stopping and then like researching, but like reading interviews or looking at things, I'm always afraid I'm going to spoil something for myself. Yeah. Well, it was also so hard to not keep reading after finishing this book. Because yeah. the cliffhanger is just unreal. And I read something where she said, like, she never does cliffhangers. I don't know if it was the acknowledgements or something. <laughs> it was or in the acknowledgements, yeah. Yeah, she was like, I've written, like, nine books and never done a cliffhanger. And I was like, well, you know, thanks. You got a really good one. <laughs> you made up for it. I also had was warned about that from someone on Instagram who was basically like, make sure you have the third book in your hands as soon as you finish the second one. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks for the warning. So I was ready for it. I was prepared. Yeah. Well, especially because the first one ended almost, like, there were still questions, but it didn't, you didn't feel like you needed this. Like, we weren't even sure if it was going to be four months later or 10 years later or the next day. Like, there was no obvious, like, what's going to happen next in the second book, right? Right. When we finished the first one. So I kind of was expecting something similar here where – there might be some unanswered questions, but, like, the story would end. 
Yeah, and it could almost be like its own standalone book again. Yeah. Not this. <laughs> no. Anything but Not this. like all four worlds falling <laughs> apart and if Rai dies, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> oh my god, I know. I'm so nervous for him. But if Kel dies, that's just fine. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Kel too. <laughs> well, no, because I could see just if the soul seal is broken, Kel wouldn't be dead, but... Wouldn't Rai die because his life oh, is Oh, that's right. Yeah. Rai would die. I would feel bad if they both died. But if Kel lived and just like his soul seal broke and Rai died, then I would feel especially bad. I would have a problem with that. Especially because yeah. Alucard and Rai, they still have so much to work out. I want to know why they broke up in the first place. What he did the first time around. I know. I, I was confused about that too because Kel said that he told Alucard to leave. And he was like, if you break my brother's heart again, I'll cut yours out. Which is a really great line. Yeah, that is a really good line. And very Cal. Yeah. <laughs> I would believe him too. <laughs> but I was just like, why, A, why did Kel tell Alucard to leave in the first place? Because he just said he broke his heart. Mm-hmm. But when he saw Rai again, they both seemed really glad to see each other. Yeah. At first, I thought that he broke his heart when he left. You know, like Alucard went to see and right. Rai was left behind. But then, to your point, that statement that Kel made, I was like, oh, so actually they broke up and then he left? So what? (laughs) What's going on? I'm very curious. Yeah. But I feel like, I don't know, I just don't know if I can see Alucard being the type of person who like had a conquest and then just threw it away or just got like grew tired of it because he seems like A, he has a pretty good moral compass and he doesn't seem like a cruel person and he was like really concerned whenever Rye... Um, at the end was like feeling Kel's pain and was suffering. He was like right there ready to help. Like, what can I do? Like he seemed genuinely concerned for him and then he cares about him. So, well, and even showing up in his room before the first ball, I mean, that would be like really mean and manipulative if he wasn't like genuine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And at first I wasn't sure what his intentions were because I was like, that was a really teasing kind of scene they had there. And he was clearly doing it to fluster him. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, when he, like, his true colors came through and he showed that he really cared, I was like, ooh, now I'm even doubly more confused and I want to know what's going on. Yeah, but I still have so many questions about really everyone in the whole book. (laughs) (laughs) Even Kel, when Kel was in prison and he asked the queen, like, did you know my real mother? I was really hoping we would get something. (laughs) Me too. Anything. Like, one clue. And there was nothing. That scene was so sad, too. Although, okay, so, because Kel has red hair, right? Mm-hmm. And so does Ajka? Yes. I wonder if there's anything related to that. <laughs> Ooh. Not that so I maybe... think they're related, but maybe something about White London or their ability to hold magic in the red hair. I don't know. I don't know. Ooh, maybe Kel is from White London. I don't know. Maybe he and Ajka are sister and brother. I just, I even, I, I, again, I have questions about literally everyone at this point. Like, Ajka, I still feel like we don't even know anything about her. Nope. Um, where did she come from? Where did she go? What her intentions are? I even want to know more about his guards, Astra. Oh, Hastra, yeah. Hastra. I want to know more about Tiernan. I want to know what happened to the real Stacy on Elsor. Oh my god! kinds. I just want to know everything. Tell me more. Well, we have one book left. Okay, that's true. Let's get, let's go reading. Let's let's stop the podcast at minute 10, and we'll just go read. I'm already, like, thinking about 
what I want for Christmas is short stories about everyone. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So did I tell you, I totally caved oh. and I bought the special edition Darker Shade of Magic. No, you didn't tell me. Tell me everything. I did. And I just got it today when I walked into the door. Oh my goodness. Is it beautiful? It's gorgeous. So remember I was talking about the fan art? There's so much fan art. There's like a really beautiful one of Kel. And at first I had no idea what was in his hand. And then I realized it was a stone. And we see his really cool coats. And then there's some of Lila. I really need a coat like that. I was also thinking. There's Banjo's bandanas in it already. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) So is is it just the first one or is it all three? So it's just the first one. I thought okay. it was all three, but it's just the first one. And okay, so there are short stories in the back. There's oh, first of all, there's like a whole list of um, how to pr- not how to pronounce things, but like the Arnesian language, Ooh. a whole bunch of words, and there's the Antari spells, and then there's a couple short stories too. I've only read one, but it's it was the one I read was called Brothers, and it's. Um, when Kel first comes to the palace. Oh my goodness. I am going to need to buy this. But they're like so teasing. They're not, there's not a whole lot of depth to the short stories. Like the one about Kel is like three pages. Oh. I know. And I was just kind of disappointed that they weren't a little bit more meaty. Because I'm just so, I'm just dying to know where Kel came from. I know, but maybe they're short because we actually do find out more in book three, and she's trying Yeah, to... that's what I was thinking. I mean, we have to figure out where Kel came from, and we have to figure out where Lila came from. Also, Kel hasn't really talked about, you know how he had that knife that gave him his name? Yeah. That hasn't really come up in this book at all. Oh, that's right. Or that's I guess, right. is that always the knife he uses to cut his hand or arm? Or... I think it is. But they don't like, I don't know. I was kind of thinking that would be more important than it's been so far. Same here, especially because like... I, I don't know, the the thing that always made me think that the king and queen never really considered him a son was that they didn't even bother to name him. Yeah. And that, like, kind of bothered me. Like, he just arrived with this knife that says KL, and they were like, all right, we'll just call him KL. Like, like you never even bother to name your new son. I also... <laughs> like, that just feels wrong to me. Yeah, I also just wish that we knew more about them even i feel like they're kind of two-dimensional a little bit right now yeah um i agree and like the most we've really interacted with them is that last scene or right before the last scene when he was in prison which and then the king was just like sorry i overreacted like what the what (laughs) i i really wish i had a better read on the king queen too and i did like how the king was trying to explain himself and he was like this isn't a punishment this is meant to be a lesson because you need to know that when your people suffer, you suffer. I, for, I don't forget. Maybe he said that I think to he Rye. he said that to Rye, yeah. Which would make more sense. But And again, I feel like he's kind of a good father to Rye and trying to like help him be a good leader. But then I just, I still just don't understand Kel's relationship with them very well. Yeah, and it just doesn't make any sense to me because he saved your son's life twice now. And your reaction is to put him in jail because he didn't listen to you. It just seems like, what aren't you? What aren't you getting here? Like his alternative was letting Rye die. Would that have been better? No. And again, the like, you know how he said, "Thank you for not leaving." I mean, really, what's the point of putting someone in jail who could leave if they really wanted? Like, it just seems like a silly. I don't. It was so silly, and especially since Kel like put magic 
He said he, like, made the chains that they put him in. Yeah. Although, I guess you can put an Antares magic on paws or rip it off out of them or whatever, because that's what the collar that Holland built did. I know. I am, oh, I am very nervous. I, I just don't know what's going to happen, because everyone is in such a terrible position right now. Yeah. I think also the king wanted is upset because now like before this whole binding thing happened with Ryan Cal, um, Cal was always kind of a target because people said that he was the key to the Arnesian Empire and they were, you know, after his power and he was very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But now like he is the key to the Arnesian Empire because he holds Rai's life in his hand, essentially. And he's the only heir. Yeah, literally the life of the future heir. Yeah. And so I can understand him being, the king being very protective of that. But at the same time, he's going like, about it the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Just like keep him in a box under the bed? Like he, he can't be a prisoner the, his, for the rest of his life. Speaking of being in a box under the bed, what about Lila? <laughs> oh my God. So she, so she somehow cheated in this Avanesson witch tournament thing. <laughs> um, and what was that guy's name? Veras Easter. Ver- oh, Ver- the, oh, the um guy who she, oh, the Fiorian, the Fiorian, who yeah. She beat and then got drunk and brought his friends and decided to beat her up and put her in a box. Veras. I didn't even like, like I get that you're mad that <laughs> she cheated or you feel like she cheated, but how is that? the next move like is if she's a competing like i'm thinking this is like an olympic athlete there's like seven of them in town still or you know seven nine in the finals or whatever Mm -hmm. like how do you get away with just sticking her in a box (laughs) i obviously he didn't but i actually kind of enjoyed that scene a little bit because it reminded me so much of when lila knocks out the real um, Stacy and Elsa. Yeah, no, it, it was really funny. <laughs> and I was just like, girl, you had this you coming. Did the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you are not one to complain because, yeah, you did the exact same thing. And that, like, when she did that to Stacy and Elsa to, to knock him out, she hit him in the head with a pipe and put <laughs> him on a ship filled with prisoners. Just because she wanted to have some fun. That well, she didn't even, really bothered me. She didn't me. even think it through far enough to put him on a ship with prisoners. She needed Alucard to help her, like, finish <laughs> that plan. What was she planning to do with him? Like, lock him in a basement until the thing was over? Like, I don't know. That just blew my mind. And and I love how Alucard was just horrified. He was just like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is not something that a normal person does. And it made me hate her character a little bit. I know. She's just very kind of selfish and lacks um, some emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she really is kind of like a robot. So I was trying to look into um, identity theft, but like not (laughs) online. (laughs) So I did did read an article about how to get away with identity theft, but then I found something a little bit more in line with what I was trying to do. And I found this article about 10 famous people who couldn't impersonate themselves. (laughs) What? They couldn't even impersonate themselves. So this is on listverse.com. Oh, good old listverse. So a lot of these examples are, pe- like, so the first one is Charlie Chaplin. 
Um, he, I guess, was in San Francisco this one time, and he came up on a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. Whoa. So he signed up, <laughs> and he didn't even make it past the preliminary <laughs> stage. <laughs> oh, my God, that's terrible, but hilarious. And then something similar happened with um, Dolly Parton. She, everyone thought she was too short to make a convincing Dolly Parton in a lookalike contest, and she lost to a drag queen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And then Hugh Jackman plays Wolverine. Yeah. And he's actually six foot two, but I guess Wolverine is supposed to be short, at least in the comics. So they like do a lot of camera tricks to make him look shorter. But he went to Comic-Con dressed as Wolverine, (laughs) and (laughs) only two people paid him any attention at all. One of them said, you're too tall. And the other one just said, not bad. Oh, my God. That is so funny. I guess like one way to, if you want to disguise yourself in in this case is like if you want to hide from the paparazzi is like dress up like <laughs> you're dress up like yourself and they won't think that it's you. That's so funny. There are there are also some funny ones about like voices. So like the guy who plays the voice of Elmo, I guess his little daughter was like, oh my dad, you know, is the voice of Elmo. So he like did the Elmo voice at a like what's it called <laughs> toy store or something like that. And the cashier just told him that she can do it better. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she had no idea who she was talking to. Yeah, she didn't know that it was serious. And then, um, oh, this one's kind of funny. I don't actually know this. I probably should. Keith Flint is the lead singer of the band that sang that song, Firestarter. Okay. Which I guess is, like, really famous. But he had kind of a unique look, and a bunch of young people started to like imitate him afterwards um and so when he was like just being himself people would often accuse him of trying to look like keith flint not knowing that he was (laughs) keith flint and he once was accosted by a group of men for trying to be the fire starter even though he was the fire starter oh my gosh um and then the guy who plays winston and ghostbusters he um I don't know if you know him. Ernie Hudson, you'd probably recognize him if you've seen Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Um, He also was in Ghostbusters 2 and the video game and all this stuff. And there was an animated series of the franchise, and he read for the part of Winston. And the guy was like, no, 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 that's all wrong. In the movie, it was like this. And he was like, no, like, I'm Ernie Hudson. Like, this is my voice, whatever, whatever. Um, and he never got a call back. And a few months later, he saw that someone else was voicing his character. So they turned on the original actor for not sounding enough like the character. Oh my God, that is bizarre. Oh, this one's also funny. Uh, Joe McCarthy, you know, the American politician, uh-huh. obviously kind of a contro- controversial figure in history, but they were doing some screenings of the film Good Night and Good Luck. And a bunch of younger people claimed that the actor playing McCarthy was unconvincing and that they thought he was over the top and too oafish and that no one would believe anyone could be that much of an idiot. Oh, my God. But the film producers were using actual archive footage of the real Joe McCarthy, not an actor. <laughs> that is such – that is just such a w- weird way that your mind plays tricks on you like that. Yeah. And then there's two more that are kind of good. Sorry, I'm like... No, I'm, these are all just unbelievable. These were just really entertaining to me. <laughs> um, there's Stephen Merchant. He, um, I don't even know what all he's been in, but he's a famous actor. He was in The Office and a bunch of other stuff. But I guess like right after The Office had finished and he was like really popular for that, he got, 
he was refused entry at a nightclub. So his friend was like, why don't you go to the VIP queue? And so he went over there. And I guess, like, everyone in line, like, all these other actors and celebrities and stuff were, like, asking for his autograph and taking photos with him because they recognized him, but they still wouldn't let him into the club. (laughs) Oh, that's right. And then the last one, have have you ever played um, Guitar Hero or Rock Band? Yeah. Okay, so people who are real musicians sometimes will say that, like, those games are not very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. but so there are a bunch of examples of different musicians who, like, couldn't play their own famous songs on rock band. <laughs> but Paul McCartney said that his grandkids always beat him at rock band. Um, and it was just funny. This author was just like, I'm just imagining Paul holding a tiny plastic guitar controller and yelling at his grandkids that he's the one who wrote the songs they're trying to play. <laughs> but I just thought that one was funny, too. Just like... These famous musicians who can't even play their own songs on, like, a toy And probably find guitar. it so frustrating <laughs> when that little thing comes out and it's like, fail, fail, or whatever it does. Yeah, and these, like, 10-year-old kids are just, like, playing their songs perfectly, yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, it was way more, more interesting than my How to Steal Someone's Identity, which I learned things like if you have an out-of-state license plate, then you're a good target because people think you're more likely to be traveling with documents that... You know, oh, matter. That's scary. <laughs> Let me know when the FBI knocks on your door. But I couldn't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I, all the things I Googled and I was trying to say, like, I don't want to steal someone's identity online. I want to steal someone's life. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm definitely, this is my last episode, everyone. I'm going to be taken off to maximum security prison. No. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> But one piece of advice that I liked was for all of your credit cards and bank accounts and the credit bureaus, you should make your own online account because when people steal your identities, they'll go on and make an online account. And then it's really hard for you to prove that you're the actual person if they're the one who has it. And it, it was just kind of funny. Like, it's really hard to prove that someone stole your identity and you're the right person, but it's really easy for someone to steal your identity, like relatively. So that I just thought that was funny. It's like, it's it's harder to say, no, I'm really me, than it is to be like, oh, I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you hit them over the head with a pipe. <laughs> yeah, so Lila has the best strategy. So my uncle is lives in western Pennsylvania, and he went to school at Penn State, so he wore a lot of Penn State paraphernalia, and he happens to look very, very, very similar to Joe Paterno. <laughs> and when Joe Paterno was still alive, he would get stopped everywhere, and people would come up to him and ask for his picture, they would ask him to sign stuff, and they would always ask him, like, how the team looked and like how they thought they were going to do that year. And eventually like he just started going with it. Like, I don't think he ever like signed his autograph or like took a picture, but people would be like, Hey, how's the team looking? And he would just be like, you know what? We're looking really good this year. I think we're going to be, I think we're going to win. Like he would just start pretending to be Joe Paterno. You know, it's funny. There's probably several people who tell the story about how they really met him when they really just met (laughs) your uncle. You said the team was going to be really great this year. I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you ought to kick out of that. I've heard about some like identical twins who get mistaken for their twin and just it's easier to just pretend to be the twin, but sometimes oh it like gets them in trouble. Where does trouble. that end? Yeah. 
But, like, to some extent, depending on, it's, like, they try to judge how much someone, like, if someone's just, like, hey, Marissa, and that's not really your name, like, you're not going to be, like, oh, actually, that's my twin sister, and I'm so, like, you know, if you're just, like, passing in the hallway or something. So, like, there's kind of a fine line of, like, when do you correct someone versus just let it go. Well, there's a whole YA book on that. Wait, which book? Um, The Secrets We Keep. I can't remember the name of the author, but... But it's about a girl who her twin sister dies or like they're both in a car accident or something and she pretends to be the other sister. I just like I can't even imagine being like having a hard time convincing people that I'm me or that I've done that I have the voice or I am the look of something that I'm like famous for doing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially since like in the case with Lila, she's not only impersonating this completely different guy. Like, they're not even the same gender. Yeah. (laughs) And they don't even have the same skills. Like, they're both, I guess they're both fire magicians, but like... Yeah. I I was just shocked that she even thought she could attempt to get away with this because it was just such a crazy, crazy plot. And, I mean, I felt like there was so much leading up to this tournament that there would have been kind of to your point like were there not more articles about what he could do like even if people didn't necessarily know what his face looked like because he was from the country or whatever like <laughs> wouldn't there be you know I just feel like journalism or some you know, like some more background or people talking about stuff before he got there someone would have known him if he was famous enough to like audition and be picked you'd think that yeah because what there's 12 from each country so there's only 12 magicians in this whole country <laughs> where like magic is power that make it to this tournament and, like, nobody, I don't know. <laughs> and also, like, just what are the odds that there would be, um, like, a medium-height, slim-built man with dark hair, the same length as Lila's, who didn't know anyone, <laughs> and who, who didn't bring anyone with him, and who happens to share the same affinity with fire. And who happened to wander <laughs> near a pipe the night before. <laughs> like, I'm glad that she entered the tournament because it did make it exciting. But just the events leading up to it, I was just not believing very well. Yeah, in some ways it would have been better if she got some kind of wild card entry or something. But mm-hmm. but it was really an entertaining kind of whole thing. But it's also crazy because, so there's 12 people, again, in this whole empire. They get to represent their country. And two of them are fake. Because Kel also. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because Kel is camera. Yeah. Oh, man. I guess, well, I kind of like how they both had the same motives for entering, because they were both like, once you come so close to death, the only way to feel alive is to keep chasing that feeling. I like how she kind of explained it to him that way. Yeah. Yeah, That she was like, the reason you're so unhappy is because you've been so close to death now. Yeah. And that was like, at the beginning, I was kind of like, this, both of them, Kel and Lila, it just seems like such a big risk to take for such a small thing like find something else to do you don't have to you know attack people and lie to the king in order to enter this tournament but then when she explained it that way I was like okay I get I get it now like this is the only way they can feel alive and for Lila I I think for Lila too like it was a way for her to kind of figure out who she was and like what kind of magician she was and where her powers come from and like to figure out what she's capable of although here's an alternate albeit less interesting story okay lila comes back from 
the high seas to cheer on her captain at this tournament. She goes and stops by the castle to see the one other person in this entire world that she knows. They say, hey, I've missed you. (laughs) And she goes, I want to try to learn magic. And then they, like, help each other and challenge each other and just have, like, a normal romance and go and watch the tournament and nobody dies. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like such an interesting story, Katie. No one's died yet, but... (laughs) Rise close. <laughs> and nobody dies or gets a collar put on them or ends up in prison. Or gets in prison by their father. <laughs> Maybe you can write some fan fiction <laughs> that no one would read. I kind of think if I did, though, <laughs> it might not get as much. Although, with all this all this research it. I've done, I think I could write some pretty crazy stories now, actually. Oh my gosh. You know what's great about this research is I always have like a talking point Whenever I'm meeting someone. Yeah. Like, we had a whole discussion at Thanksgiving about the Mandela effect. <laughs> that is really cool, yeah. I think that James just thinks, like, my mind is always in these weird places, because I'll be like, hey, did you know, and, like, insert random fact, or how to survive this, or this terrible thing that happened to someone, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I have a really bad habit of doing that to Chad, like, right before I fall asleep, and it'll <laughs> be something horrible, usually, and I'll be like, hey, do you know, like... That Vlad the Impaler used to, like, drink his people's blood right before he killed them, like, in their presence. Okay, good night. Sleep well, dear. He'd be like, what are you doing? Happy nightmares. I'm the worst oh, wife man. ever. Um, well, I was also talking to my sister over Thanksgiving when I was home. Um, because she, I was talking to her about Lila and how... I felt really conflicted about her character because, like, she just does such terrible things with no regard to anyone. Yeah. And so she she was like, well, where do you think she falls on, like, the alignment system for Dungeons & Dragons? Have you ever heard of that? No. So I guess in Dungeons & Dragons, I'm just going to nerd out here real fast. There's, like, an alignment system where it categorizes characters based on um, their ethics or morals. Okay. And... It was kind of fascinating because I was reading about it and then I was immediately trying to like place all of the characters in this book. So like there's a few categories and it's either law versus chaos or good versus evil. Mm -hmm. And the, the combination of them allows for nine different alignments. So you can either be lawful good, lawful neutral or lawful evil or, um, you know, there's other alignments. There's neutral good, true neutral neutral evil and then there's chaotic good chaotic neutral and chaotic evil okay and so like lawful lawful evil would be like a tyrant so like i was thinking okay it would be like the dane twins so they rule a nation and they're based on a system of laws that they uphold but they are bad you know yeah they they they're Mm -hmm. bad they're bad characters (laughs) Whereas, like, lawful good would be someone who has a really strong sense of duty and honor, but also acts with compassion. So, like, Ned Stark from Game of Thrones is lawful good. Okay. And so then I was trying to, like, place the other characters, and I thought, um, so neutral good, I thought, was Alucard, because it's someone who acts... They will break the rules for the sake of doing good, but they won't have the same like inner conflict that a lawful good character would have. So like they act without regard for rules or traditions, but they want to do the right thing. Okay. And if doing the right thing requires bending or breaking the rules, okay. they don't care. Yeah. Which I thought. You don't lose like, sleep but, over it. Yeah. Right. And then I got to Lila. <laughs> and 
I thought at first I was like, let's be nice and just say chaotic neutral. So like chaotic, chaotic would be like someone who doesn't believe in rules and traditions. Um, okay. But like, yeah. she's definitely chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> but like chaotic good would be someone who does what's necessary to bring about change for the better. So like Alina from Shadow and Bone, I think would be a chaotic good, or even Kel. I would say he doesn't like necessarily he breaks the rules, but he does it to try and better the world so that I was like okay chaotic neutral is someone who doesn't believe in rules or traditions but they're also an individualist and they believe in freedom but good and evil come second for their need to be free and then I just got to like the worst one which is chaotic evil and then I was like this is kind of her too because it's someone who has like no respect for rules no respect for other people's lives or anything except their own desires yeah, that's kind of her. She's not, like, like mm. intentionally trying to be evil, but she just, like, doesn't give a thought to anyone else or anything else besides her own wants Yeah, she needs. really, like, she has no care for what happens to to the real Stacian. And even with her own wants and needs, it's very, like, short-sighted also. It's not even like she's trying to, like, <laughs> like, it's, like, her immediate gratification or, like, her, like, looking for trouble and her reckless... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a really interesting character because I agree I don't like her. Like she's not a character that I'd want to get tea with. But um No. But I am still very intrigued by her and there are things I like about her. Yes. Yeah, she's not like a character that you hate by yeah. any means. No, yeah. She has a lot of really great qualities, I think too. It's just <laughs> it's just she's just shocking, I guess. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> but I really did like watching her um, compete in the S- in the tournament. And yeah. like the tournament was so exciting. It was. And it was kind of cool because since she didn't know much about the tournament, we could kind of learn through her perspective without them having, without V.E. Schwab having to be like, this is how the tournament works. Or right. us being completely lost. It was kind of a nice way to introduce it to us. That was perfect. And I l- just love seeing all the duels and like, even, like, the little touches about how they wore fragile armor and, like, when you s- struck with the element, you had to break ten pieces of armor. Well, I also thought it was funny that ceremony at the end, the final three have, like, the unveiling or whatever. Oh, where they the unmasking. Take off there because of an assassin a long time ago. It reminded me <laughs> of what you were saying about masquerades last week. Yeah, <laughs> no. I thought about that, too. Or I guess a few weeks ago, but yeah. And I, I was so nervous, too, whenever... Because the last match that Kel like had to lose or he would have been unmasked was the one that Lila was late to because she was in a box on, on a ship or whatever. Yeah. And I was so nervous that he would automatically win and they would find out that he had been competing the entire time. Although I also was nervous that like too many of our characters would make it to the top three or something. And so I'm glad that it's like Lila's out and Kel's out. Yeah. That felt better. <laughs> It wasn't like the three of them competing That's or true. something. But there was just such great tension, especially like when Rai was watching Cal fight and he was like feeling every blow and he was like trying to hide it. And the king was like, what's wrong with you? Something's wrong. And I was just like, oh my God, he's yeah. going to get caught. He's going to get caught. It was so like there was just really, really great tension there. Although, okay, going back to your point about Lila being in the box. So she already knew that Kel was Kamarov. She had already figured that out. He didn't know who she was, but she knew who he was. So she knew that they were paired against each other. Mm-hmm. 
He knew at that point, too, who she was, I think. No, I thought he didn't know until they were actually competing. I just mean she was late to that match because she had to go kill a few people. And But I just feel like the priority, I feel like I wouldn't have forgotten that I was supposed to be somewhere. (laughs) Well, I think she was just late because she had to kill, she had to kill someone. And that's why she was, she just had to. Sorry, I'm, sorry I'm late for lunch. I just had to murder someone real quick. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a Lila thing that we can even casually talk about. I was late because I had to kill a few people. You understand. (laughs) I had to exact my revenge that I had promised them before they locked me in a box. (laughs) Uh, I was also wondering, like, I understand that they wear masks, but how the heck did Kel disguise his eye? Well, I think he had like a visor. I mean, it sounds like the masks were varying degrees of my face is covered versus... Your, my whole eye is covered? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I kept thinking of because I was so certain he was going to get discovered. Yeah. But I don't think he, he was. He wasn't ever discovered that he was competing. No. I was expecting like the princess to figure something out or like I just I wanted oh, more yeah. from the other royal um people in Red London because there's a lot of talk about I forget which country is which now but the like brother with no magic who's actually the older brother of the one country mm-hmm, Pharaoh and then those two siblings but one of them you know the Caro or whatever her name is is like oh Cora, Cora. Princess Cora I just I just, Cora yeah I was just expecting, like, kind of a little bit more from them, but maybe in book three with Kel missing and Rai dying. Maybe, maybe they'll, they'll step up. Ooh, or maybe they'll try to take over the Arnesian throne. Mm. That's what I was thinking, yeah. And also, Lila, she is very powerful, but she is, uh, her veins are turning very dark, yeah. and she doesn't really know what she's doing, and I'm a little bit nervous, because if anyone's going to become an evil wizard... <laughs> it might be her. I feel like it would be her. I love when Kel, when she collapsed in the ring after her match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, and Kel came down to look at her and he was just flipping out on her because of how badly she was abusing the magic. Mm-hmm. And I love how he was like, why am I the only one in this entire world who has to be accountable, who has to be held accountable for their actions? <laughs> and I was just like, that's so true. Like, that sucks. But that's so true. Like, she's getting away with all of this horrible stuff. And he's the one thrown in prison for saving the prince's life. Yeah, but also, I mean, that's part of the burden and whatever of being royalty or being special. And like, yeah. like, it's not just him. Rye also has kind of a similar... Like, that's kind of the advantage and disadvantage of being not royal, right? That you can mm-hmm. do whatever you want, marry whoever you want, blah, 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 whatever. But, you know, you're not royalty. <laughs> kill kill people and get away with it, you know. You can just murder people before you go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, speaking about gyms. Okay. So. <laughs> Uh-oh. I was researching the Olympics this week awesome because i i was trying to think about like an equivalent to these tournament games the element games that are happening in these books and so of course i thought about the i thought you might research this (laughs) oh you're so good at predicting what i research well i did i started a little bit myself and then i had a feeling as i was reading stuff i was like marissa's gonna do this and do it better than me so i switch tactics (laughs) and i want to google how to steal someone's life Okay, so I researched the Olympics because they're my most favorite thing in the world. And I was learning about gymnasium. 
Okay. So in in the in the original Olympics, there were only men who competed, and they all competed in the nude. So they were all naked. And gymnasium comes from the Greek word gymnos, which means naked in Greece. Huh. I did not know that. Isn't that crazy? Also, it's good that these games did not require them to compete naked, or else both of our <laughs> main characters would be SOL. Especially Lila. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. So, yeah, I learned that. And then um, I just learned some other, like, fun facts about the Olympics that I thought maybe people might not know. Yeah, I know, like, very little about the Olympics, to be honest. So tell me some things. Um, So the first recorded Olympic Games were in 776 BCE. Wow. And women were not allowed to compete until the 1900s. The 1900 Olympics was in Paris, and that was the first time they were allowed to compete. Um... But the Olympics were canceled or outlawed really in the 4th century AD because the emperor said no to pagan festivals. So the first modern Olympics began again in 1896. Okay. And the oldest gold medal winner ever was Oscar Swan of Stockholm. And he was 72 when he won a gold medal for shooting. Oh, we've got plenty of time to go to the Olympics then. I know. I was actually, so I always ask people this question. I'm like... If you had unlimited resources and could compete in any Olympic sport, like, which one do you think you'd be able to do? Uh, I, I couldn't do anything, to be honest, probably. I'm, like, the least athletic person ever. <laughs> but, like, shooting or, like, archery, I feel... I didn't even think about that. I don't... I'm not super into the Olympics. I have been to the Olympics, though. Which one? The 96 Olympics, because they were in Atlanta. Oh, in Atlanta! And I lived here back then. So I have, like... Two very vague memories of it. One was when my parents took me when they lit the the Olympic torch. And I remember just all the people and being on my dad's shoulders. And, oh my god, I'm so jealous. And then we went and saw gymnastics. And I have like one memory of like looking at the gymnastics happening. That's so cool. It's my dream to go to the Olympics. I've always wanted to go. And I was so sad when Chicago didn't win that one year. I know. I did look a little bit into host cities, by the way. I don't know if you looked into that at all, but... Mm-mm. I was kind of curious about, because in this book, it was like the previous winner hosts the games the next time they come around. But mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure how the rules worked for how our Olympics picked hosts. I mean, it's not, people, a lot of people don't want to host the Olympics because it's just such a nightmare. Yeah, well, there's pros and cons, right? And so the process begins nine years before the games are held. So you can start to lobby the IOC then. And then for three years, you have to demonstrate that you can currently or that you will be able to fund and have the infrastructure to host the successful Olympics. And that never happens. And then everyone votes on you. Yeah. And by everyone, I mean the IOC members, not everyone. (laughs) Oh, right, right. (laughs) Well, the one sport that I thought we would be able to do would be... Mm-hmm. So it, from 1912 to 1948, there was an art and literature segment of the Olympics. Oh, what? Let's bring that back. I know. And so you could either compete for the, in the literature segment, you could either compete by writing a dramatic, epic, or lyric original piece of work that was 20,000 words. Even if I couldn't compete, I just want to read the Olympic Oh my gosh, me too. Competitors stuff. Okay, I think this should be our 2018 goal to petition the <laughs> IOC to bring back the art and literary Olympic games. I am 100% with you. The other, some other sports that are no longer Olympic events. <laughs> this, this, I'm in like such a giggly mood tonight. I don't know why. But, <laughs> I like it. Um, okay, 
tug of war. <laughs> I actually, I love tug of war. I hate it because you always fall at the end. If you're on the other team. Just if you're on the losing falls. team. <laughs> uh, rope climbing, solo synchronized swimming. Which I was just like, what How is do you, there, what is there synchronize. to synchronize <laughs> by yourself? That's just water dancing. <laughs> that also sounds funny. Water dancing. Um, and then hot air ballooning and tandem bicycling. Ooh, tandem bicycling. That could be fun. And dangerous. <laughs> Chad and I called tandem kayaks the divorce boat. Because <laughs> we just can't ride in them together. Um... So the okay, so the youngest gold medal winner was a woman named um, Inge Sorsen. She was from Denmark, and she was twelve years old, and she won the two hundred meter breaststroke in nineteen thirty six. Wow! But there is some some controversy about the youngest ever um, participant in the Olympics because apparently the Olympics that were, took place in Paris in in nineteen hundred they were very very poorly organized and apparently there was um a a rowing team that showed up the dutch rowing team showed up without a coxswain and so they were scrambling to find someone to fill in and they just apparently found some local french boy on the street (laughs) and paid him to be their coxswain and to this day nobody knows this kid's identity but they suspect that he was around 10 years old Oh my goodness. Did they, how would they do? I don't know. Probably not well. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was so funny. I feel like if I were that 10 year old, I would make sure everyone knew who I was, at least afterwards. Oh my gosh, me too. Or maybe they were just like, here, we'll give you, I don't know, a baguette and send you on your way. And you were like, that's fine. Because you're 10. Or maybe he tried to tell people that was him, but they didn't believe him. Exactly. (laughs) They were like, "Mm, no, that boy was a little bit taller than you. (laughs) Uh. Um, The other thing that I learned that was amazing to me was in the original Olympic Games, the original stadium held 45,000 people. Wow. And like to put that into perspective, uh, the Consul Energy Center, where I saw Lady Gaga this past week, it contains less than 20,000 people. Wow. I'm like feeling stressed about the crowds already. Like what are those bathrooms like? Oh gosh. Weren't they just like, well, I don't know because it's a Greek. So I feel like they're pretty advanced. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know much about the old Greek bathrooms, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, like, in perspective, that is just an amazing building. That No, that's incredible. It's also incredible even to, like, get that many people aware of and coming to an event in some ways back before, like, the internet and stuff. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Before Facebook, yeah. I mean, just, like, it's hard. it's hard even now for people to get to a point where they can sell out a stadium like that. I know. Well, the one thing that helped was, I guess, during the Olympic Games back then, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of wars that happened back then, (laughs) but they declared kind of like a ceasefire, right? So during the Games, everyone kind of put down their swords and it allowed people to travel so that they could come and see the Games, which was kind of of interesting. They like all came together for these Games and just decided to like not fight for a a month out of the year. That stuff is always kind of impressive to me because just like honor among battling armies yeah. is like, it's kind of impressive that people adhere to those rules and whatnot, you know? Yeah. I mean, to call a truce and have everyone abide by it yeah. is pretty amazing. 
Yeah. So that was what I learned about the Olympics. Cool. There's just some really interesting stuff. I guess the longest wrestling match was 11 hours. Oh my goodness. In 1912 between a Russian man and a guy from Finland. 11 hours. And I guess... The Russian man finally won, but he was so exhausted after 11 hours of wrestling that he couldn't actually compete in the final. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah, so just like really crazy research about the Olympics. I read uh, Beijing, which hosted, you know, the 2008 Summer Olympics and is going to host the 2020 Winter Olympics, is going to be the first city to host both a Summer and Winter Olympics. Oh, that's kind of interesting. And Africa has not ever hosted the games. They're the only continent that hasn't. Although okay. Antarctica is a continent, isn't it? I doubt they've hosted it. <laughs> that would be the Hunger Games in Antarctica. Oh, I love that that thing that I sent you the other day that was like, Harry Potter fans want to live in Harry Potter world. Like, Narnia fans want to live in Narnia. Hunger Games fans are just like, nope, I'm good. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> um... The So that 1896 Olympics, that first one when they started them up again, had 250 athletes and 13 nations competing. Oh my gosh. And then the first Winter Olympics, which was in 1924, had 16 nations competing in just five sports. <laughs> so they've really come a long way. Well, in the original Olympics, there was only one sport and it was running. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's so funny because like Olympic now just like is such this huge event and you know all these different athletes come together in different sports and just to think of like it's just a big race like a regular running race <laughs> it was only a 200 meter sprint too it wasn't even oh, like a wow. long distance running match and they had how many people come to this thing <laughs> but they were naked <laughs> oh, oh man <laughs> sign me up no, i'm just kidding uh, oh that was fun and it's fun so we have we have another like 40 years until we have to rule out the Olympics for ourselves. You know, it's always been my dream to carry the torch because when I was in high school, my history teacher carried it and we like went downtown uh, in Pittsburgh to see him run with it. And it was just the coolest thing. That is really cool. How do they pick people for that? You just apply. You should totally do that. I will if it ever comes back here. It's going to be in LA in 2028. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that's so far away. You've got 11 years to get over to L.A. You can do it. Oh, okay. That's my long-term life goal. <laughs> that's you're, you're a longer life than that. You can That can be your medium-term life goal. It's my 11-year plan. <laughs> if we're still doing our podcast in 2028, I'm going to remind you. <laughs> oh, and I'll have to get in shape so fast. Oh, never mind. I'll drop it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um... What else about this book do we want to talk about? I just want to talk about how I'm ready to read. Okay. And I know I say that a lot, but this one was such a cliffhanger that I really just want to know what happens next. I do too. I also really want to find out with Holland, because we haven't talked about Holland at all. And oh, I'm, yeah. Uh, I just, ooh, I felt so, I hated him when he was like making the deal with Osiris when he was like, I'll give you a better Antari and you can use his body and you can take over a different type of London. And then I also felt bad at the end when he like couldn't fight him. Yeah. Although, I mean, I was mad at Holland because obviously I like Kel and Red London and stuff, but I kind of was like, he's trying to save his own. Like I kind of got it. Yeah. Him trying to make the deal. 
Although I still, I think it was Kel who said what I said the other day about like, dude, you just traded one master for another. Why mm-hmm. would you take this deal? You should have died like you were supposed to. <laughs> yeah. And even like Kel. But again, if I wrote these books, they'd be really boring. He would have died like he was supposed to. <laughs> no one would have entered the tournament illegally. <laughs> Lilo would just have stayed put in Grey London. <laughs> no one would be reading them. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, because yeah, at the end, when Kel has the collar put on him, and Osiris like, let me in, and he's like, no, I won't. I will sacrifice my life, Rai's life, and the entire future of the Emperor just to prevent you from taking me over, which probably was the better move. I mean, it was a more respectable move, except when you think about the fact that he still has the collar on, Rai's still dying, and this guy is still going to Red London to take over. It's sort of like, well... Did he accomplish anything? (laughs) Yeah, maybe he should have let the guy in and, like, fought him... Internally. Willfully, like he did before. But, I mean, I do, I respect him for his decision. And I think he, I think somehow he's going to get out of that collar, and him, Lila, and Alucard are going to save the day. And Rai and Alucard will live happily ever after. With Kel and Lila as their neighbors. I hear there's fan art out there somewhere, so <laughs> hopefully that's a good sign. That's true. That's true. Although I guess if it was just the kiss that happened in this book, so maybe it was... Yeah, yeah. we did already see that. Mm. Okay, let's talk about the next book. Okay. It's the final book in this trilogy, and it is called A Conjuring of Light. And we are going to read up to part eight, which is called Uncharted Waters. And I can only hope means there's more pirates. Oh, me too. Oh, do, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a really great idea if, like, they all become pirates at the end. And, like, Kel gets his freedom and, like, sails away from the Empire and becomes a, a pirate with Lila. A pirate couple. A power pirate couple. And he could literally be a pirate prince as well. Yeah, him and Alucard. Okay, although there's another question about Alucard, because he's kind of turned his back on his royalty-ness. Mm-hmm. So do him and Rai have any kind of future? Because Rai obviously takes being prince and future king very seriously. So would either would either of them be able to compromise kind of their views on that to have a relationship? Yeah. It does seem like Alucard wants nothing to do with, like, the noble side of his family, I guess. Yeah, well, it also sounds like he's a distant royal. Yeah, he's far removed from the throne. Which is the best place to be. Yeah. But yeah, if he ends up with Rye. I want to know more about his backstory too. Like what happened to his parents? Why do you want to run away? Why is he so whatever? I wonder if he was like close to Rye when he was still a noble and then everything kind of shifted at once and he left Rye and, you know, turned his back. I don't know. I'm just curious. I want to know more. Me too. Um, okay. Maybe we'll find out in this next book. So I'm going to read <laughs> the inside cover. Okay. Go. Witness the fate of beloved heroes and enemies. The balance of power has finally tipped. The precarious... (laughs) I think you should insert sound effects whenever I read this this time. The precarious equilibrium among the four Londons has reached its breaking point. Was that a sound effect? (laughs) (laughs) I I was trying to break something, but I had nothing to break. (laughs) There you go. You were just tearing up your Dead Sea Scrolls. (laughs) Uh, once brimming with the red vivacity of magic, darkness casts a shadow over the Marish Empire, leaving a space for another London to rise. (laughs) Who will crumble? Kel, once assumed to be the last surviving Antari, begins to waver under the pressure of competing loyalties. And in the wake of tragedy, can Arnez survive? (gasps) I know. Who will rise? Lila Bard, once a commonplace but never common thief, has survived and flourished through a series of magical trials. 
but now she must learn to control the magic before it bleeds her dry. Meanwhile, <laughs> I don't know. I was do waiting for a dun dun dun. I know. <laughs> Meanwhile, the disgraced Captain Alucard Emery of the Night Spire collects his crew attempting a race against time to acquire the impossible. Aye, aye, Captain, or something. Oh, that was good. (laughs) (laughs) Who will take control, and an ancient enemy returns to claim a crown while a fallen hero tries to save a world in decay. Dun, dun, dun. There, there, there you there go. You go. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, okay. So this one better take place two seconds after the last one ended instead of... Just just two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Three seconds would be too much. <laughs> they better not let me try to fill in more than two seconds of time. Because you know how, you know my boring approach. <laughs> and then they all lived happily ever after. So Kel, Kel just <laughs> ate an apple. <laughs> um, okay, I, I'll tell you a joke real quick and then we can go Okay. Read. Okay, so, knock, knock. Who's there? Britney Spears. Britney Spears who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Whoops, I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) That was so dumb, I love it. Uh, You're welcome. That is totally something my dad would have done, like 100%. I thought it was pretty good. That was good. All right. Okay. Anything else? No, I'm good. Okay. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M and K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.